you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1111-1111. That is a very satisfying episode number, 1111. Very special indeed. Also, um, hey, if you wouldn't mind, head on over to ID10T.com, sign up for our email list so we can let you know about stuff. Because also, in addition to the merch and stuff and podcast guests and that sort of thing, I would imagine that at some point, I don't know when, but at some point I will go tour again. Uh, the the Wizard Guitar Tour was abruptly cut off a year ago, <laughs> but I would still like at some point when it is safe and comfortable to do so, uh, and also safe and comfortable to ask people to gather together in a comedy club, that, um, uh, that I would like to go do that. And I would like to let you know about it, so please sign up for the email list. Uh, ID10T.com will help you do that. But let's talk about the ID10T community events at ID10T.com. Like Justin, who uh, sent in an email and wanted to spread the word about a children's book that his uh, wife illustrated. Uh, it's, he says, in defending Imusi, uh, Maggie Elliott illustrates a whimsical tale written by her friend and collaborator, Michael Smythe. Uh, that's Smythe with a Y. I'm guessing it's Smythe, but there's no E on the end. So it could be Smith. I apologize. Um, Justin did not include a phonetic key. So Michael Smith, Smith, uh, I'm sure that is uh, a f- frequent question <laughs> that you get. So I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that properly uh, as Smythe. Uh, anyway, uh, it's uh, the book is about the steps one inventor goes through to protect the nation of Imusi from tiger attacks and the problems she faces when the tigers are all different types. It's fun for any child, and the allegory of flu vaccines is particularly enlightening uh, in this time of pandemics and quarantines. So incredibly proud of the work, uh, Justin says, that Maggie and Michael have put into this project. Defending Imusi is available uh, on Amazon in print and in ebook form electronic book, if you will. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for sending this in. Uh, events at ID10T.com. For anyone else who has a thing they would like to share, this episode 
is Lou Diamond Phillips, who um, I became pals with when he did Talking Dead a handful of years ago. Uh, he came, was a Walking Dead fan, came on Talking Dead, then ended up from there going on to direct an episode of Fear the Walking Dead. But um, Lou's great. He's uh, a writer, a screenwriter, a playwright, a director, uh, and of course an actor. Um, you know, I, I mean, it was going back to La Bamba, Stand and Deliver, um, the Young Gun series, and then just a slew of really cool television. And Lou's done sci-fi and horror and all sorts of stuff. He's been on, done theater. Uh, you know, he was in Stargate Universe. He was in Longmire. He was in Blue Bloods. He's currently on Prodigal Son with uh, Tom Payne, uh, from who was on The Walking Dead as well. So, um, you know... Uh, Lou, Lou and his wife are just uh, such wonderful folks and uh, also became pals with my mom when they met on, on Talking Dead. So I'm so glad Lou was finally on the podcast. He's promoting his new movie, Adverse, which is available on digital and on demand and DVD uh, March 9th. Adverse also stars uh, Mickey Rourke, Penelope Ann Miller, Sean Astin. Uh, so, so check it out. And, uh, and also you can look for Lou on Prodigal Son as well. So uh, here is the ID10T podcast number 1111 uh, with Mr. Lou Diamond Phillips. Roll the thing. Initiating ID10T protocol. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Lou Diamond Phillips. Hey, man. <laughs> I want to give you a good hey, Chris. How are you, man? It's good to see you. You as well. I just I just tweeted at Mama to let her know I'd be talking to you. And uh, Yvonne says, give her the love to, to Sharon and to Lydia. So, uh, man, it's been, it's been a little too long, my friend. Oh, my God. My mom adores you, by the way. Like, she just thinks the world of you both. And uh, when you did Talking Dead a handful of years ago... Uh, she was just like, oh my God, you guys need to hang out more. I don't know. You know, like she, my mom was making all these plans for us. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, 100%, man. I'm telling you something. When this, when this craziness is all over, uh, uh, we do, we need to, we need to get together at some point, you know, just, just to break some bread. I would love to. Are you in New York? Uh, yeah, man. Currently in New York City, uh, still filming uh, *Prodigal Son*. *Prodigal Son*, yeah. Our, our old mutual friend, Mr. Tom Payne. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, man. It's uh, it, it's, we started what uh, season one at the end of uh, 2019 or in the middle of it. Um, Yvonne and I rented a van and drove cross country with Indigo, who was 12 at the time, five cats and a dog. So, oh, yeah, freaking crazy. <laughs> so got to got to New York City, did the first season, and then obviously in March, uh, the pandemic hit. The rug got pulled out from under us, and we haven't been able to go back since. So uh, you know, but New York City is a pretty pretty good place to get stuck. Wait, so I, before we get to the all the pandemic stuff, I want to hear about the van trip. Was <laughs> it like a van or like a Winnebago or like an Airstream? 
it's 100% like right there in the middle of it. It's uh, uh, that, that company Bandigo, which rents to, you know, little indie rock bands that go touring the country. So there was enough room for everybody and the five cats, you know, uh, in the van, but enough that we were basically packing uh, half a household to, to come move to New York for what we knew was going to be at least a year, you know, obviously turned into uh, much longer than that. So uh, um, it was, uh, it was a little you know, hilarious. I mean, it was, Kind of a Chevy Chase movie, you know, if you will. I mean, are you, one of were the you cats, sleeping it, in it, or were you sleeping in it? Were you sleeping in it, or were you stopping? No, at no, 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 no. We we found lots of pet friendly um, uh, hotels across the country, and uh, we're able to move. You know, we we got a big, you know, like uh, uh, the animal carrier, and we would move um, uh, the cats into a into a hotel room every single night, and into the van every morning. And the dog, the dog was fine. Uh, one of our cats, Gable, uh, uh, came up with this whole new meow, which we had never heard before. But he would literally sit there on a seat going, wow, <laughs> wow. You know what? He was just floored by all the sights that you see. It's he like was. if you've ever driven across country, there's a lot of beautiful stuff. And he, he was wow. <laughs> Look, you know what it was? Wow. That was his, it was biggest ball of yarn. That's what got the cat. You, That's you wow. Wow. <laughs> I've done it. I've done the cross country trip. My dad, my parents, neither of them really liked flying. And when I was growing up, we just did a lot of driving across country. And I've done it in my adult life. The idea of it, I mean, it's, I, I guess it, do you think it's probably better if you have a goal like, okay, I'm going to move across country, but just to drive across country just for the hell of it. I find that the first like day and a half is amazing. Oh my God, we're on the road. It feels so free. And then at a certain point, there, there's not a lot in the, in the middle. Like when you get in the middle, it's just a lot of flat and a lot of cornfields. And I kind of started to feel like it was a wallless prison in the sense that you can't stop. It's like, oh, we have to keep driving because we can't just stop here. The only thing that's here are these falling. It's just like every mile or two, there's a barn that looks like it's a hundred years old. That's about to fall down. That's just sitting there. So did the psychology of that eat at you or was it the whole time? Was it pretty fun? It was, you know, it was fun for me. I mean, you know, like you as a, as a kid, you know, my, my, and my dad, George is such a car guy. Uh, we used to take road trips all the time. And then living in Texas, you know, I mean, please, you know, just, just coming home from college was a road trip, you yeah. know? Uh, uh, so, so that's very much part of my, my, you know, history and, and, and culture. Um, and, and Yvonne had never been through the middle part of the country. She'd never seen, you know, uh, the Grand Canyon, you know, or the, or the, uh, uh, what is it? Is it the, the Liberty Arch in St. Louis and stuff like that? We thought about going through Memphis, um, and, and going to Graceland, but, uh, uh you know, we, I don't know, we, we needed to get to, to New York eventually, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it can get uh, hypnotic after a while because, you know, I mean, the miles just, you know, kind of keep rolling past you. But um, you do get this great sense of Americana uh, and, and how, you know, different people live. I mean, you know, I think uh, there is something to that, you know, urban bubble or that elite bubble where it's like not every place is L.A., not every place is New York City. And you get into the, the Americana of it all. And even even like little, you know, roadside stops became interesting for me, uh, little, you know, uh, 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 vegetable stands, you know. So we, oh, yeah. we tried to find, um, for lack of a better term, local flavor wherever we went and, and kind of take that in. Absolutely. I mean, like like 
going across this country as a tourist is really fun because you really do. And it's one of my favorite, it's my favorite thing is besides performing as a touring comedian is finding like, you know, what's the best donut? What's the best pizza? What's the best local thing? Like what's the best local antique shop? Just like really getting a vibe for everything. And when you drive and you're sort of open to just discover, you really find these pockets of amazing, like there was some place, I want to say it was maybe in uh, Iowa or Oklahoma where um, it was it's just been this town that apparently had uh, just had this incredible like food scene, like in the middle of nowhere. Right. It's just a handful of people just decided, you know, let's move there. They converted the ga- the old gas station into a restaurant and all this. And it was just, you know, it's just this kind of amazing resiliency of different different parts of the country. Yeah, no, I mean, and everybody wants to, you know, to, to feel special and they, that they do something you know, that, that, that is unique and that you can only get there. I'm, you know, I mean, part of the time it's true. It's like, it's like that scene in Elf, you know, where he sees the you know, best world's best coffees. Congratulations. You did it. You did it. <laughs> best cup of coffee. Not so much. Do you remember, uh, cause I, uh, you talked about driving across country when you were younger. When I think about when we would drive across country, I look at it the same way as like, prehistoric times like before electricity like how the fuck did we get from i mean i can remember you know like getting in the car having a stack of maps in the glove compartment unfolding the my dad unfolding the maps just kind of looking he's pretty familiar with the highways but just kind of looking you know and then you'd get to a certain region and then your map would run out and you'd stop at like a stuckies and you would get another like series of regional maps and you'd have to connect it all and I don't know, it just now it's like, oh, everything's on my phone. I can see which places are pet friendly, which hotels have good reviews, what the local restaurants are. And I, I, I look back at that. I go, how did we not die? Even though it you know, wasn't that dire. But with, well, no, no, it was, now. There, there was a little bit of Lewis and Clark there, man. You know, like you said, <laughs> there, there were big gaps. You know, if, if, if there wasn't more than a few thousand people in a town, it barely, you know, it barely made the map. Not to mention that I don't know about you, man, but you know when I was a kid, it was like two parents who smoked, and I didn't have to wear a seatbelt in the back seat. I mean, the fact you know how do we survive? I don't know. You know, I mean, there 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 were things in 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 the past that were just like, what we did, what you know? <laughs> I know because it the and and you can still you still see traces of that older version of America, especially if you drive through like Albuquerque or any of these places that really proliferated on the route 66 path yeah. that then were kind of supplanted by the freeways and the, you know, like the, what has really ended up happening was that, you know, every kind of small little town developed its own little, there's, there's like the highway side honeycomb of your, whatever, like your Cracker Barrel and your Starbucks and your gas stations with, you know, Wi-Fi and Dunkin' Donuts. And then the honeycomb of the little town centers of like your Home Depot and your, you know, TGI Fridays or Applebee's or whatever, fast food, you know, more Starbucks. And so I I really, as much as I appreciate the convenience and the consistency of that, uh, I also do miss, you know, those mom and pop shops and the just like everything that just was so unique to the different regions. 
Yeah, we tried to do that. We tried to, you know, I mean, in the mornings, like, where's my Starbucks? You know, uh, when we get in the car. But uh, uh, we, we tried whenever possible to, you know, to, to hit the, the the local place. And like you said, man, I mean, literally, I'd be driving and Yvonne would be looking at me. Just, oh, look here. You know, we're going to be, you know, we, we, we would only set a destination for the end of the uh, that day. You know, and, and we were pushing ourselves hard because, I mean, the van rental was seven days anyway. So it's like, you know, you can make it to New York in four, you know, driving pretty hard. Or you can take your time and, and uh, you know, see the, see the sights. And that's kind of what we did. It's like, oh, look here, you know, we what, let's stop for lunch early, you know. And this little place looks kind of cool because we're going to be in this town. And she was always kind of, you know, uh, scrolling ahead to find out what what kind of cool little spots, you know, were coming up. Well, it's. I mean, I, I hate to blame this on, you know, like maturing age and whatnot, but my heart always wants to eat all of the local everything and try all the local everything. But especially when you're on the road, it's like I need some consistency because if you get a bad coffee or you eat something that isn't quite in the zone of what your body is used to, uh, you know, road, road, road diary is no fun. You know, like you just, you can't take too many gambles sometimes, you know, so it's, my physiology. We had a 12 year old. So, you know, there's, there, there's a certain amount of pickiness going on there. It's like, you know, we, we, we can't, we can't stop, uh, you know, at the, at, at the atomic pepper place. You know what I mean? <laughs> No, no. It's bet. Did, did I guess did your van have a toilet in it or no? It was just like no, a it did not. So yeah, no. You you take these things into consideration, <laughs> especially because you know, like when you get in the middle of the country, you go, oh wow, we're just so you we're so spoiled with convenience, and you go, oh wait, there's not a place for like seventy miles. So yeah. if either I hope there's a rest area, or it's like or you're corn shitting, you know, like you just can't, there, there's no, you, 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 we, we really get so easily spoiled, you know, I mean, hats off to the truckers of America who have figured out yeah, right, how to really uh, traverse this massive land that we live in. Crazy stuff, man. Crazy stuff. And yeah, I mean, we, we were fortunate and, and, you know, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. But I mean, this last summer, there was just no way. There was just no way with the pandemic going on uh, uh, and not knowing what was going to happen. Uh, we we just knew that we couldn't jump in a, a, another van, and you know, I, I hate to say it, but get get stuck and bump up wherever uh, <laughs> yeah. for the entirety of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, it's not going to happen. No, you know, I I I guess I, I guess probably the first time I met you was when you did Talking Dead, and I. Th- I imagine it was, was it the episode that you directed a fear? No, I think you just came on as yeah. a fan. And then after that, you ended up directing an episode. Exactly. And I have to say, you know, I mean, how one thing leads to another. Um, I was doing a play in Connecticut that I, that I had written. I produced it. I was doing the play. And in um, uh, every Sunday night, because we had a Sunday matinee, I would cook for the cast and crew and we would watch the walking dead and, and the talking dead. Amazing. You know? Yes. You know, I'm big fans, you know, be, be, before, before we ever met. And uh, literally 
one of the one of the crew guys, I think it was a, the 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 a lighting director or whatever, he turned and said, "Man, you really need to be on that show." And I'm like, "Yes, I need to be on this show." <laughs> and I think I tweeted, and then your mom saw the tweet because I think I tweeted like right at you. Uh, and then you like, you know, she said, she said, Chris, you need to get Lou on the show. And you tweeted back, okay, I think we can do that. And the next thing you know, I'm there on the Talking Dead couch. And, uh, you know, it's like the event Nicole Brown. You immediately see that I'm a super fan. And uh, um, it was on a couple of times. And, and then when Fear got new showrunners, it was like, oh, here's a guy who knows the show inside and out. Knows the mythology, knows the, you know, the, the, the language and sensibilities. And, and that led to me getting uh, that gig, which led to me being on the Talking Dead uh, couch once again. As a director, well, you've directed quite a bit of television. I know, I think you, you, I'm pretty sure you must have directed A Prodigal Son by now. I just did. And uh, I, I got to do the mid-season finale uh, and introduce Catherine Zeta-Jones to the cast. Oh, fantastic. And, you know, uh, Alan Cumming is a guest star uh, as well for a couple episodes. So um, just just amazing you know i've been so fortunate because i've been able to do shows that have such not only a a massive fan base but have their own language and their own uh uh you know world build to them you know what i'm saying like longmire like longmire exactly in the western world and and then fear the walking dead i did an agents of shield so you know really got to play with some sci-fi kind of marvel you know, uh, uh, superhero iconography. And then, you know, to this real urban, dark, gritty, serial killer, but twisted sense of humor show that is Prodigal Son, I, I, I was absolutely thrilled. Not to mention, I mean, a freaking cast that includes, you know, Tom Payne and Bellamy Young and Michael Sheen. I mean, come on, man. You know, uh, uh, our, our, our show is so dense. Uh, you know, even, even Frank Hartz and Aurora Perino and Keiko Agana, uh, Halston Sage, the entire cast, you throw the ball to them, man, and they're going to score. So uh, I, I was already blessed to be able to work with that much talent. And then to pull Catherine Zeta-Jones and Alan Cumming, uh, my old buddy Rachel York from Broadway, into my episode. Man, I, I, I was like pissing myself. It was it was crazy. I mean, that is that is kind of the fun thing, I imagine, for having such a lengthy career is that you get to – you, you, you sort of develop, it really becomes like a community. It's like, you see a lot of the same people, you know, it's like, you know, you were in, pro, you're in proximity to walking dead. Oh, I know you also worked on blue bloods too. I did uh, uh, three episodes um, as an actor and, and the ultimate goal. I mean, once again, small world, man, I was directing the fear of the walking dead. Dave Barrett directed the episode after me. And uh, we got, you know, we got to know each other, got very friendly. He says, you need to come and do Blue Bloods because he's the showrunner. So um, uh, we said, yeah. He goes, I, I might have to have you on as an actor first. I said, that's great. I, I think the show's wonderful. And, you know, uh, uh, Donnie and I are old buddies. So uh, I was supposed to direct the Blue Bloods, but then Prodigal got picked up for the back nine. And I had to bow out of, of having done that. So, and the funny thing is the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. literally came about because I got a phone call while I was directing Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, the showrunner on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., his daughter is a stunt performer on Fear the Walking Dead and called her dad and said, oh, hey, Lou's killing it, man. He's doing a really great job on this. You should have him on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And he calls him and goes, hey, you want to do an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? So once again, it's just a small world. I mean, literally, the, the producers of, of Prodigal Son, we, we had a little bit of a hiccup with casting and uh, – um, 
in the 11th hour, you know, they changed the lead and they called me up and go, well, what do you think of Tom Payne? I went, are you kidding me? Because Tom and I had gotten to know each other on, on the, the festival circuit, you know, uh, um, and, and the, uh, the convention circuit. And I said, not only do I love him as an actor, but he is a great guy. Just a, such a solid human being with such a big heart. And, and uh, uh, I have to say, being number one on the call sheets, Tom Payne has been uh, an absolute dream. You know, he, he sets the bar very high, not only, you know, from his work ethic, but in, in uh, his respect for the casting crew. What was the first thing you directed? Oh, my gosh. I mean, that's going back to 1990 uh, was a, uh, uh, a film for HBO called Dangerous Touch that I also co-wrote. Uh, it was a, it was right there in, in uh, that, that period where things like Fatal Attraction were, were all the rage. You know, the, the, the two named, you know, kind of ooh, psychosexual thrillers. So, yes, Dangerous Touch was in that in that uh, in that era. Uh, and, you know, I've done a, a good handful of independent films. Uh, I did a lovely little Western for Hallmark um, uh, and, um, you know, a handful, a handful of um, uh, television. One of the first things I did was uh, and actually we just had Robert Joy guesting on our show uh, was an episode of Outer Limits. You know, I acted and directed. Oh, wow. I acted and directed in a Twilight Zone as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been off and on for a number of years. Um, it's never been my bread and butter. But I will say that I am pursuing it much more than I used to. Uh, uh, a lot of times it just sort of fell into my lap. It was something that I, I loved doing, but I wasn't going to to um, supplant the acting, you know, to do it. But now I look at streaming. I look at the, the quality of writing, the quality of, of the cinematography, the budgets. I mean, please, the budgets that I get for an episode of television far surpass anything I ever got as an independent film, you know? <laughs> so so I, there's every reason in the world to do more of that because it's it's just, I think television is, is better than it has been in decades, you know? Well, yeah, because it has to compete because what's really happening is that everything is, everything is, especially in the last year, is being basically presented in the same way. We're watching it. Exactly. Like the idea of TV and movies and short films and internet videos, it's all just kind of squishing together un under the, under the name of like content, you know, it's like people yeah. just want good. They just want stuff that's good to watch, whether it's a series or a movie or a short or whatever it is, but you know, we're kind of just watching it all the same way. So it's somewhat becoming indistinguishable from one another. It is. And, and so there's a there's a level of expectation. You know, it's like when you call Game of Thrones TV, it's like, oh, come on. <laughs> <Yeah. You know? laughs> they, they took three weeks to shoot a battle scene. OK, that ain't TV. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, technically, it's TV. And, and and you get these incredible streaming shows, uh, of which, you know, I, I'm a big fan. But they're they're, you know. Basically, you know, the, the dance mix of, you know, episodic, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, things like the Queen's Gambit or, or you know, uh, any, any of the other really great, you know, uh, the, the flight attendant, which my friend Chris Bojellian wrote the novel, um, you know, it's, it's a different world. And so, uh, and, and even directing something like Prodigal Son, it's like the bar is very high. We're making feature film quality looking stuff for TV on a TV budget and TV schedule. And that's, you know, that's the challenge. But I mean, I, I love that, man. That's, you know, that's making me use uh, different tools in the toolbox.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now we briefly pause to thank our sponsor for this episode of the ID10T podcast, SanDisk's iExpand Flash Drive Lux, which makes it really easy to back up and transfer files uh, on your phone, um, uh, take files off your phone, free up space if you need to. Um, It's got a lightning connector and then also a uh, a USB-C connector as well. So you can just pull stuff off. Put it on another device uh, if you need to. Uh, It's available in 64, 128, or 256 gigs of storage. But especially now, if you have a ton of photos and video, the the, the phone videos are such high quality. They eat up a lot of space, even though the phones have a lot of space. But if you have a lot of apps and you have a lot of media on there, uh, it's a great way to not have to have your phone uh, max out. And also, if you want to share a bunch of files, uh, it's really uh, great to do it that way as well. You can just pull a bunch of stuff up. you know, transfer the files, hand it to someone, let them uh, download, upload it too. So there you go. The SanDisk iExpand flash drive Lux. Right now you can get 15% off your first order of featured SanDisk products uh, for Apple and Android devices, but only when you go to SanDisk.com slash ID10T. So that's S-A-N-D-I-S-K.com slash ID and the number 10T. Uh, sandisk.com slash ID10T. Thank you for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast, which we now return to. When La Bamba came out, I was, I mean, I would think I was maybe, I don't know how old I was, but it was in the 80s. And uh, that was just like the hugest thing in the world. Like that, the video, because MTV was in its heyday at that time, yeah. the soundtrack off the movie it played nonstop on MTV. It was huge. And that was a period of time where you could go from relative obscurity to being like a massive star, you know, like your life must have changed literally overnight with that movie. Funny that you put it that way. Um, I mean, first of all, there were a couple, I, I got some great advice early on. I mean, like the night before the movie opened, Danny Valdez, who played my uncle in it, who was the associate producer, he's actually the one who said, go to Texas, go to Texas and audition people there. Um, because Danny had, had originally optioned this, this story. He, he's the one who had contacted the Valenzuela family because he wanted the role. But it took him like 15, 20 years to get it off the ground. Uh, uh, he had been the lead in Zoot Suit. He had been the lead in like Boulevard Nights or something like that. And uh, his brother was Luis and they, and they were going to do it for a long time. Uh, and it took him that long to get the movie made. 
But uh, the night before it opened, he literally said, we're going to hand you the keys to the candy store. Don't rot your teeth. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and it's so funny because when you say overnight success, to me, that's the overnight. On a Thursday night, not many people know who I am. On a Friday, a few million people have seen the movie. And I was like, wow. And and the thing that I think even even more so um, cemented that was the fact that I was on the poster, that, you know, there I was, Lou Diamond Phillips, people put the name and the face together like right away. And uh, uh, shot out of a cannon, man, just shot out of a cannon. Um, it was so bizarre. I, we did a we did a uh, uh, a special screening for the farm workers. And that's, you know, I mean, I love I always love that because Luis Valdez came from the Teatro Campesino, the farm workers union theater which was political activism, you know, through theater. And, uh, and as a result, I ended up marching with and fasting for Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta and becoming, you know, intimately involved with, with a lot of the Latino causes uh, back in the day, which was a little bit of my way of giving back, you know, uh, for being Latino adjacent, you know, uh, being a Filipino. But um, uh, we did this great premiere uh, in Watsonville where the apricot picking sequence was, uh, Helen Mirren is married to uh, uh, Taylor Hatford, who was the producer and second unit director on the film. So we had this wonderful um, dinner uh, in, in the back of a Mexican restaurant there. But on the way in, coming out of the screening, Isai and I just got mobbed. I mean, hair pulling, button popping, mobbed. And breathlessly, I sit down next to Helen Mirren. I said, wow, uh, maybe one of these days I'll get used to this. And she put her arm uh, she put her hand on my arm. She goes, oh, no, dear boy, don't get used to it because then you'll think it's normal. <laughs> That's amazing well, advice. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, both both of those little, you know, nuggets of wisdom, you know, I, I, I have stayed with me, obviously, throughout the years, but but have really, you know, always helped me stay centered and stay grounded because, you know, life changed. Life changed massively, you know, uh, in a very short period of time. Yeah, but then, but and there were so many great movies too. Stand and Deliver was an amazing film. Um, uh, the, the Young Gun series was fantastic. My first three films in Hollywood, man. My my first three films in Hollywood: La Bamba, Stand and Deliver, and Young Guns. Oh my so, God! Yeah, that's one of the reasons I'm still around today. <laughs> I mean, is it? it, it are, are you able to sort of uh, bat, because I know you also did a lot of work in the theater as well. So was there a certain Part of it that's going like, well, yes, I'm doing these big films, but I also really want, I really want to experience that sort of intimate type of acting from the theater to to write in the theater, to produce in the theater, to act in theater. You know, I, I would imagine, uh, you know, so, some people probably would have just been caught up in the Hollywood hype of it all and never thought like, oh, you know, I really want to go focus on craft and work and, you know. And so what what was it specifically about the theater that having done these three like huge films as your first three movies where you have the presence of mind to go, yeah, but I also really, really want to have this real this theater experience. I, I, I I'll be honest, I got uh, I got seduced and carried away from the theater for a while, you know, uh, I mean, because in not just being an actor, I wanted to be a, a film and television actor I mean, and specifically a film actor. Because uh, when I was a teenager, you know, my heroes, my idols, the people that I looked at and said, wow, that's that's the kind of actor that I want to be. And, and uh, you know, De Niro, Pacino, Hoffman, these swarthy, not blonde haired, blue eyed guys who were then movie stars. It's like, 
okay, you don't have to be Robert Redford to be a movie star. And, and, and so that was what I was pursuing. I was, I was studying film acting at the same time I was studying uh, theater uh, in, in Texas, you know? So I got away from the theater for a while and it, it took a few years, man. It took a few years for me to, to go, you know, this is, uh, no, I, I need to get back to basics. I need to, you know, uh, uh, even to the point where my agent had made me uh, um, offer only, right? Ooh, because they're always hot and this and that. And it's like, I kept seeing movies that go by that. It was like, why didn't I see that? Why didn't, why didn't I read that script? You know, and, and I realized, man, you know, you can really, uh, you know, you're a comic. It's like one of those things where a comic, you know, has all this great material and then their next, you know, their next bit of material is, is only about being famous and being rich and being, you know, you, 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 you lose the street, man, because you don't have to hit the bricks anymore. You lose that thing that made you great in the first place. Well, that's a, that's a brilliant way to put it, too, because, yes, you do sort of express whatever your immediate experiences are. And there is a certain, I guess, you know, there's a certain comfort level that comes along that is welcome, but too much of it is also detrimental because we do, you know, like everyone just sort of kind of claws their way through the business in the beginning. And it's like, oh, just anything. I just want to. And then, you know, if you're if you're fortunate enough to start working, then, you, you know, you can get, like you said, seduced by the, oh, yeah, offer only. I don't want to have to go through the audition process. But then if you get too comfortable and then you're right, then all of a sudden there's a certain amount of authenticity because you're, you, you've taken yourself out of the, that and thing. The, and and I think it's the hunger is what you're talking about. Like yes. you, you know, the drive comes from a hunger and maybe that hunger is to be, it can be all types of things. It could be to be the best actor, or it can be as insidious as like just wanting to be famous, or it can be like to work with certain people or to accomplish X, Y, or Z. And when people do, and they kind of lose the hunger because they get comfortable, then it's like, you know, you got to find something else to get hungry about or, yeah. or you just kind of like, you know, or you allow that process to just sort of carry you away. I guess I don't yeah. know. And so, well, I mean, and I did. And so it's, I got to this point where it's like, all right, man, hold on, hold on. Let's get back to basics. Uh, I went and did a play in uh, La Jolla uh, that it's ridiculous when I look back at it. Now I did uh, the, uh, the good person of Sesuan, which was a reinterpretation of the Brecht by Tony Kushner, Pulitzer Prize winning every award under the sun because of uh, uh, Angels in America, uh, and got to work with him, got to work, and, and this was a diverse cast before diversity was a thing. Uh, Charlene Woodard was the uh, um, the lead, and uh, she's, she's guesting on the prod- prodigal son for this uh, in the first season, but it was this great thing, and uh, David Hidalgo and Louis Perez of Los Lobos, uh, who were my voice in, in the film, wrote new music for it. So I got oh, to wow. sing. Yeah, I got to sing uh, uh, their songs. It was, this, it was this weird kind of, you know, full circle thing. And Jay Binder, a casting director, saw that produ- production. Um, and that led to me being in The King and I on Broadway. Because it's like, oh, I thought he was just a movie guy. Oh, no, he's a theater guy who can carry a tune in a bucket. So, you know, uh, I went in and auditioned for that. And then just, just, you know, jettisoning the, the the ego and getting back to the basics of, of what you know what what it is to want something and to go after it and and to focus on the work. 
I auditioned for Courage Under Fire, you know, which I, I never would have done, you know, and and both of those things, the King and I, Courage Under Fire, those were game changers for me in, in, in really just going, okay, this is this is the food chain, this is how it works, and you know, and, and not getting so precious anymore, you know, because if you want the good stuff, you got to go for it. Yeah, but there is kind of a, in fairness though, there is a weird balance between not being too precious, but also I, I, maybe this doesn't exist anymore, but also not being perceived as like, eh, that guy will do anything. You know, it's like, there's a weird sort 100%. of a balance and I don't really know what it is. Um, you know, if, and, and, and maybe that's made up, I don't know, but it does feel like there is a, there is, is a there a perception line to walk that yeah. is, you know, and I don't know what exactly what it is, but it feels like there is something to that. No, there is. I mean, you don't, you know, what are these? There's the, the old jokes, you know, about people, you know, like walk the red carpet or whatever. They'll, you know, this person show up for the opening of a tuna can. You know, it's just, you know, you don't you don't want to be that person, you know. Uh, uh, and, and so you do want to be desired a little bit. So there is. I mean, unfortunately, there, that that's that's the landscape that, you know talent has to, to navigate today. And, and it's, and, and it's exacerbated by the fact that reality stars are now celebrities. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, celebrity used to mean you were celebrated for something and it's not necessarily sticking a firecracker up your ass, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> but, but now people go, what's the path to fame? What's the path to riches? And, and now there's another path that strangely enough runs parallel to, you know, Yale and Juilliard and everything else, you know? Yeah. Well, and, but I think, I think ultimately though, you, you really do have to get real with yourself and say like, well, what do I want and what's meaningful to me? What do I, I guess just follow that and not chase, try not to chase too much of anything else. You know, it's like, you know, if you want fame, that's great. But what do you want to be famous for? When you choose organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great-tasting, high-quality organic dairy ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMed's offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including NexGuard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because also 
you've worked on so many cool things and you've gotten to be on so many, I mean, your IMDb page is long, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff on there and you've to see how many series you've been a regular on and good shows, you know, like, so it's, you know, I imagine that is that more fulfilling than having just done film where maybe you would only do like a film or two a year, but you know, when you're working in television, there's a much higher turnover rate. Uh, I always just wanted to be a working actor. You know, it's, it, I mean, I, I, the, the dream, you know, I've exceeded what I dreamed about, you know, when I, when I was, you know, in college or whatever. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I have friends like, you know, Ernie Borgnine who had like 300 credits to his name, you know? So, uh, it, and, and the world is different. Uh, there was a time, you know, like in the eighties and early nineties and whatever, if you were a film actor, you were a film actor, if you were a TV actor, you know, and never the twain shall meet. Right. Uh, now, I mean, please, we just, you know, kept Tony winning Oscar winning Catherine Zeta Jones just joined our show. You know what I mean? So, so those lines are blurred, you know, Meryl Streep is doing television, uh, uh, you know, Dustin Hoffman has done television. Um, so, so uh, people are going to where the, the good work is, not just where the work is, but where the good work is. But I've also started looking at what is the experience in addition to what is the outcome? Because the life experience that I garner uh, is, is becoming as important to me. It's like, who am I working with? You know, uh, uh, it's, you know, when when uh, Goliath, you know, needed to replace an actor and they brought me and say, hey, would you do this? It's like, yeah, in a heartbeat. Two episodes. Great. I'm working with Billy Bob. Done. Done. I don't even need to read the script, you know, because he and I have been, have been buddies for a long, long time. You know, I ended up uh, uh, in adverse uh, this film that's out right now simply because I was doing a lot of the conventions. Thomas Ian Nichols uh, and I were crossing paths a lot, had a table next to each other. And he literally said, hey, man, I'm doing this little independent film. He's a great little up and coming uh, Asian American director, Brian Metcalf. There'd be a role that you'd be great for you. Would you take a look at it? You know, it would only take a day. And Sean Astin was already attached and he's an old buddy. And it's like, you know, I want to support independent film. You know, it's not always about the paycheck. It's not always about the size of the project. Uh, you know, uh, some of my my greatest love stories have been with independent films, you know, uh, that I that I still like, you know, today and people continue to discover because of streaming and everything else. And so uh, it was easy for me to say yes to that. And then all of a sudden, Penelope Ann Miller and Mickey Rourke are in the cast, too. So it's like, well, OK, you know, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in very good company. Yeah, but it's it's also um you know, hearing that or hearing about how you got the directing job on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, you there is a certain amount of like auditioning for things, but there's also just like staying in the game for a long time, getting to know people, you know, showing up for work on time, doing a good job, and then word of mouth, you know, like nothing yeah. really beats word of mouth. You know, when I think about jobs that I auditioned for and got through that regular track versus jobs that were like, more word of mouth or just through some other, it is far more the latter, you know, the longer I feel like you're in the business than just straight up going in, reading for something, getting a call back. That does happen. Yeah. But, uh, but this other way, you know, it's like, Oh, you're next to a guy at a convention. Hey, do you want to? Sure. I'll take it. Oh, now I'm in this movie. Oh, wow. Well that worked out. Yeah, exactly. Right. But, but, it, but it, it might not have, <laughs> you know, sure. there, there are some times where there are misses, no doubt. But, but uh, uh, as you said, I mean, having a career, you know, you, you just keep moving forward. And then every once in a while, 
things exceed your expectations, you know, like adverse certainly did, you know, it just, it just became a, a, a bigger thing than I expected it to be. I, you know, uh, but, but at the same time, um, uh, like you said, that word of mouth is, is, is major. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of people make because the bad news travels a lot faster than the good news, man, you know? Well, yeah, especially because this, you know, you work on this movie adverse, this director that you mentioned, or or anyone working on the crew, it could be like the second AD or whatever, then they'll go on to do something else. And then that, you know, it's like, oh, you yeah. know, Lou was really great to work. Well, let's put him in this thing, you know, like, and so it's, yeah. it really is about just having good experiences. And again, following your gut and working with good people and nice people and professional people. And, and, uh, and if you're lucky enough to do that, and you've been lucky enough to do that for, you know, 40 years, that's pretty fucking amazing. I mean, like that is, that is a real accomplishment. It still blows my mind, man. It still blows my mind. And I sit there and I go, man, I, I, I'm really looking forward to what's coming. You know what I mean? It's like somebody, somebody uh, mentioned it the other day, you know, I mean, it's like Clint Eastwood, you know, he's directing into his seventies. He's like, yeah, yeah, I intend to do that. You know, uh, Ernie Borgnine acted until, you know, into his nineties. It's like, that's that's great, man. You know, I want to be that guy. Okay, cut. Wait, we have to do pickups. Clear, and then they revive you. Yeah, and then you do the pickups, and then. But but you know, it's to it, it's sort of chasing all of the emptiness stuff, though. That doesn't really lead anywhere because it doesn't matter. You could literally be the most famous person in the world. And then someday no one's going to care. You know, it's like yeah. there's all these these stories about Marcus Aurelius becoming the, you know, the emperor of Rome. And he would sort of mention all these previous emperors. No one would really remember who he was talking about. And he's like, yeah, exactly. And you couldn't, you know, you couldn't get any more powerful than emperor of Rome. And within a generation, no one gives a shit anymore. So yeah. maybe just follow your gut and don't kind of focus on that other stuff. But it's just... You know, especially with social media, that that kind of attention is so alluring because, you know, as it's just a constant struggle with keeping the ego in check, you know, like not being too seduced by those things that kind of give you a rush of, you know, yeah. and just kind of remembering who you are and what's important to you. It's and, and, and no, exactly, because you, you can you can you can be pulled into the moment, you know. Uh, but, but fortunately for me, I mean, you know, the, it's always been about, you know, the long run, it's always been about the big picture, you know, and, and, uh, and it's also, you know, the older I've gotten, the more I realize it's, it's about life too, you know, being a dad and, and, uh, you know, having a family and, and, you know, cooking and taking out the garbage and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, you know, I have a book out as well, um, that I did with my wife, Yvonne, you know, uh, Sharon loves, uh, and, and she had done these drawings back in the 90s um there were these manga style you know japanese you know influenced drawings uh, about the tinderbox that hans christian anderson wrote we were dating i saw them i thought wow this would make an incredible you know uh, uh movie and so i wrote the screenplay realized that nobody was going to give me that much money to direct a sci-fi you know opus so we, we set about doing the book well it took 10 years you know off and on in writing, you know, my day job kept getting in the way, but, but just committed to this idea of we're going to finish this book one day. And, uh, um, you know, the pandemic actually helped to where I could finish the, the, the edits and the rewrites and everything else. And she did 30 illustrations, but wow. once again, 
Yeah, they're, they're amazing. They're, and the book is out. It's done incredibly well. It's called The Tinderbox Soldier of Indira. But my point is, is that it was a commitment to something that I was going to see through to the end. And it wasn't about uh, the instant gratification, you know. Uh, it, it, it was about honing it and, and uh, revisiting it and, and keeping it alive, even if it you know, went into a drawer, you know. There are projects of mine that, that I still hope, you know, will come back around. And, and it's like what you said, man, it's, it's, uh, you can get caught up in the minutia of things and, and the drama of, Oh, this, this thing happened or you know, whatever. And, and just go, you know what is part of the journey. And you know, this, this will, this too will pass. Um, and keeping a perspective on who you are and where you are in the world. You know, I mean, we, you still talk about it, you know, today, I mean, people who get, who read their own press too much and, you know, really get a little too full of, of themselves and who they are in the moment. And they're the ones who tend to fall hard when, you know, nobody's paying attention for a month. Well, and, and also uh, it, it, you start to become suspicious of anything that feels like instant gratification. You know, it's just that yeah. it's like when you should be working, but it's like, ah, don't work. Just go, you know, go, I don't know, eat, eat a box of donuts and play a bunch of video games. That feels nice. And listen, that it's good to have that sort of balance. That has its place. <laughs> but but it's just, you want to be able to just keep the balance, you know, like strike the balance. And especially when you've been working for on something for 10 years and you've written a lot of stuff and written plays and written screenplays. And how do you, this is for people who are maybe stuck in the middle of a project right now, a long-term project that they don't see the, they don't see the ladder out of it at the moment. Yeah. How do you maintain your passion? How do you maintain, especially because in that time you change and evolve as a person. So how do you even, you know, infuse who you are? Like maybe you've changed a lot from when you started it. So how do you, how do you know when to keep going? How do you know when to just let it go? How do you know how to, keep your passion for it? How do you do that? Um, I, you know, it's, it's interesting, man, because, you know, uh, uh, as artists, you know, we were always dealing with insecurities. You know what I mean? It's the whole fraud syndrome and, uh, you know, am I good enough? Or, you know, how do other people perceive me? And you, you, you get this myopia where, where, you know, you, you reflect back on yourself. I mean, it's, it's the one, it's the people who like have no doubt, you know, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. It's like, well, you know, maybe you gotta, maybe you gotta take another look in the mirror, but, you know, <laughs> but, but, um, it is, it's, it's, it's about developing an honesty with yourself. Uh, but even beyond that though, it, the balance is knowing that you're good enough, man, knowing that you deserve this, you know, and if you're working at it, that you're earning it, you know, so, so, uh, especially with the writing, cause I'm always, you know, I, it, it's like when people go, Oh, Hey, you're a singer. It's like, I don't call myself a singer. Cause I have real, fr I have friends who are like singers. I mean, like really good singers. So I wouldn't call myself that when somebody says, Oh, you're a good writer. It's like, well, I, I happen to be friends with a couple of New York times, best-selling authors. So I'm glad that puts things into perspective for me, you know? Um, but I, I, I can read something that I've written or look at a performance that I've given. I go, man, that's that's pretty good. There's a reason why I'm doing this, you know, and 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 not being too self-congratulatory about it. But at the same time, not having false modesty. It's like, no, man, I'm good and I earned this, you know, um, but it feedback is a good thing. And I have to say, Craig Johnson who wrote the uh, uh, the Longmire novels continues to uh, that my series was based upon. And then I just mentioned Chris Bojalian, who had a huge success recently with the, the flight attendant. 
both of those guys are friends of mine and gave me such not just great advice, but just support saying, this is good, man. You got to finish this. You got to stick with this, you know? Uh, and, and, and so you kind of can't get too down in the moment and, and give up. I mean, it's like people who, you know, say, well, you know, how do I become an actor? I said, well, you know, you got to work at it, you know, and you can't, you can't expect to be carrying a movie, you know, the first time you go in on for, for an audition, you got to develop a thick skin where, you know, the rejection you can't take too personally. And it's still tough, you know, but you have to look at the big picture, you know? I mean, some people go, well, yeah, I took an acting class and, you know, uh, I didn't get on a TV series. So that sucks. I'm not going to do that anymore. So, well, it's uh, like, well, then that wasn't their passion because exactly. you, you can't, it's the same thing with stand up. It's like, it's, it's, if, if, if you were to look at it um, uh, from an outsider's perspective, it would seem very not rewarding for quite a while. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and but there's still something about it where even if you have a bad show or you know no one pays you to do it for years something still says yeah but I still need to get up there and do it and, and I think yeah. that's kind of how you know that that's that's maybe where your passion lies but also that idea of deeming yourself worthy of saying like no I'm I'm worthy I I know I can do this but all is you, you can avoid being cocky as long as you're always open to learning, you know, as long as you're open to the growth process, those two things can coexist. It's not, it's not one or the other. I think, I think it can be so easy to be self-deprecating because you don't want to be egotistical or you don't want to come off as arrogant. And it's like, yeah, but it's still okay to be comfortable with who you are and go, no, I'm, I'm good at this. I still feel like I always have more to learn. And I think that's the key to keeping you from turning into an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Being open to listen yeah. and open to learn. But once you feel like you said, like once you feel like, yeah, I got this thing figured out. It's like, oh shit. Ah, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know now. Well, stop learning. I mean, and, and like you said, I mean, it, it, with, with the novel, but it, I mean, it applies to my acting too. It's like, you know, I, the first time I got cast as a dad, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> uh, you know, then you just go. Wait a second, I am a dad. You yeah, know? and 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 it, it's it's being honest with who you are. You know, it's like you know, I mean, on Prodigal, I'm I'm the oldest person in the cast, and it's like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm crazy Uncle Lou. That's that's fine. I I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> uh, and, and and embracing that, and and saying this is what I bring to the table. This is this is my function within this piece of storytelling. You know, and and. Uh, not trying to pretend that, that, you know, you're, you're still the, uh, you know, the action hero. Although, you know, I, I get to be a love interest on the show. I, you know, I, I still get to, you know, chase bad guys, you know, and, and Tom Cruise ain't hurting. He's doing just fine. Still being an no, actor. Liam Neeson too, you know, it's like it's sort of finding that, you know, it's just sort of finding the right thing. I mean, no one can ever really tell you who you are or what you should do. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, I know the business does tend to sort of, pick and choose and put people in boxes in certain ways. But at the end of the day, you know, like you said, you're star, you're starring on the show. You get to do all these things. And maybe before you did that, there would have been someone who'd been like, Oh no, you're too old for this. Like, no, nah, fuck you. I'm not, you know, like yeah, exactly. you just can't, people are always quick to tell you what you can't do or how things are quote done. Yeah. But that also means to me, that's always a signal. Aha. That means there's room for innovation because if people have decided that there are these walls up, 
They're just doing that because they're just kind of being lazy and going, well, I don't want to have to think outside the box. And someone always they, fucking they comes through. In, they'll put you in that box, man. You know, and that's something that I fought against my entire career. You know, and it's 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 why I, you know, I've done sci-fi and comedy and horror and, you know, drama and 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 thank goodness been rewarded for it. I mean, it goes back to my theater training. It's like I've been interested in all of these things. That's why I write. That's why I direct. You know, uh, I wanted to be a storyteller from way back when and not just, you know, a, a movie star or whatever. You know, I, I hate that term, but, you know, that, you know, that that thing. I mean, the people who just are like carry films as major movie stars. And there's not a lot of them to and, me. That sounds like a very confining. I mean, like, yeah, OK, fine. You know, they make shit to tens of millions of dollars and they you know they do big budget movies that everyone sees but at the same time i don't necessarily feel like they have the um the freedom to move around a lot and shift and make fun choices it always kind of has to be within these certain confines well if you veer off too much this way then you might and if you're afraid of losing that then you yeah. come in service of it as opposed yeah. to having a career where it's like yeah, you could start a movie. You could do a low-budget indie if you want to. You could do a TV series. You could do a commercial. You could direct a thing. You could, you know, you when you look back at my career. Yeah. Well, yeah, when you look back at your career, like what an amazing journey to get to do all of those things and not be confined by any sort of fake, you know, constraints of, well, you have to do this, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's weird, though. I mean, it's, it's because it's uh, fear, man, the fear of losing something as opposed to the excitement of gaining something. Right. You know? and, and, and that's been the thing. Uh, and and uh, uh, I don't know, man, it's, it's, everybody has different paths and, and everybody is, you know, satisfied or gratified by, by uh, different things. And, you know, going, circling back to something you, you, you said earlier on, it's like, you know, defining what you want, you know? And, and I think that's, that's where a lot of young people, um, they don't really know what they want just yet. And then, and in some respects, uh, uh, they see an end result. Okay, well, I want to be an entrepreneur. Okay. <laughs> what? You know, uh, I, I want to I have a line of, you know, tennis shoes or, you know, a clothing line and, and, a, and a scent and everything else. Like, okay, what are you going to do to get that, you know? Yeah, and also do, you know, it's like, I think a lot of times they just sort of flash forward to the, you know, ah, they're on the bow of a yacht, clinking martini glasses. Like, yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't think anyone who runs a Fortune 500 company has a super chill lifestyle. You know, it's like, it's like you never stop working and what that does to you emotionally, what that can do to the relationships in your life and, you know, intimacy, like just not having, and, uh, I don't know if the trade-off is worth it, you know? Like, I don't think, I think it's nice to just have the balanced life where it's like, yeah, you get to work, but you get to have time with your family, you get to travel, you get to write, you know? It's like, that to me seems much more um, enjoyable than, you know, everything you do, you know, it's like every choice you make could tank a company and people could yeah. be out of work and then you'll never work. And like, oh God, but what you said was very profound about, you know, the, um, the focus, something about focusing on what you're losing rather than what you're ga gaining. It's like yeah. they're afraid of losing an, an old type of thing as opposed to looking at it as like, yes, but it's the opportunity to gain a new thing 
Yeah. And that is the process of life. <laughs> so it's, if we could just shift our thinking a little bit, sometimes like, oh, well, this job went away or this thing. It's like, yes, that thing may be dying, but that means that it could fertilize the soil for something new and exciting to grow if you're open to that, if you're looking in that direction and aware to see those opportunities. No, man, uh, 100%. It's funny, Yvonne and I have this conversation too. Uh, I, it's like some of the politicians these days, and I, I don't want to veer off too far into this territory, but uh, you know, they're so afraid of losing what they have, their power, their position, that they no longer do the right thing. They they take the path of least resistance, uh, and and will even be hypocritical and and uh, you know change their values to to accommodate you know uh, what they perceive as as what's necessary for them to stay where they are, as opposed to growing and being you know being I don't know productive. Well, that is the the idea. I mean, that's the key term in general: the path of least resistance. You yeah. know, because we I I think you know, the ego wants the path of least resistance. You don't want to have to, you know, and so in your own work, when you're writing a play, when you're writing a movie and you're stuck, I love to ask writers this question and you're stuck and it feels like, fuck, I don't know what else to do. I don't have, you know, how do you avoid the path of least resistance, which might be just you know, throwing it away, giving up, doing something else, you know, and how do you know when to set something down? How do you know when the path of least resistance is actually productive because it kind of helps you recharge? Like, how do you know? It's, man, you know, please, uh, if we could figure that out, Chris, we'd bottle it and be, you know, we'd be those guys in the cover of Fortune 500. It's, you know, it's, it's, I, I do the palate cleanser, you know? Uh, uh, if I'm stuck, especially in the writing, I'll put it away, you know, go, go read a book, uh, uh a lot of times work out, you know, and, and the fact that I, I, I actually have a day job, you know, where I have to learn lines and do that sort of thing and stay in shape and all of that, you know, can, can contribute to, uh, uh, I've noticed that whenever my creative juices are flowing in one area, it helps in the other area. Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, which is why I, it's strangely enough, you know, I keep a pad and the computer on the set with me. And I, and before the pandemic, I was actually already working on the, on the uh, revisions of the tinderbox when I was filming prodigal son, you know, and, and, you know, one hand will wash the other. Uh, uh, and like I said, I mean, I haven't been to the gym in a million years, but I got a yoga mat. I got the straps. I got the whole thing. And if I'm not there, then I know that I have to give, the idea or the seed of an idea time to germinate or marinate or whatever. And I go off and, and once again, it's, it's weird because it, it, it very much is a physical thing. Get the juices flowing, get some sweat going, get the blood pumping, you know, and, and it just seems to spark, you know, uh, a solution that fortunately I don't have to wait too long to figure out, you know? Yeah. And I, and I do think, physical movement does sort of create mental movement too. Even just like walking outside, you know, getting a little sun, you know, like walking the dog or whatever. I do all that. Yeah. It can just sort of unlock because you can really get frozen, you know, and your everything in your body is telling you this is the instant gratification thing. Don't get up. Don't go outside. Don't walk. Oh, come on. No, that's not going to, that's going to be uncomfortable. And if you can somehow just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying brain i'm gonna just do it i'm just gonna try it 
And you know, like when you get out there, it's like, ah, this isn't so bad. All right. And then afterwards you go, oh my God, I'm so glad I did that. And also, wow, I get that additional reward of my, my brain told me not to do it. And yeah. I didn't have to listen to it. But it's so funny because it's like, yeah, I mean, okay, oh, that joke was forced. Why? Because that's exactly it. You forced it. You know right. You were constipated and you had a heart attack like Elvis because you were trying to, to take a dump. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just it's you you want to sometimes just let it let it breathe. But also, you know, maybe that is just sort of in your mind rather than just putting it to bed forever, just going, I'm just going to let this sit while I go kind of move, do something else. And then oftentimes when you, when you fight against, you know, like, Oh, I got to figure this out. I got to, your brain just gets more knotted and knotted. And then when you just let it go, Oh my God, the solution came to me, you know, like I was in the shower or I was in the middle of the night or I was on a walk. I wasn't even thinking about it. And then all of a sudden two pieces disconnect and you're like, why didn't I see that before? It was right there the whole time. Epiphany. Epiphany. You know, you let the subconscious work on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that uh, your time is limited. I, I, I don't want to keep you all day. And are you shooting today uh, on Prodigal? Uh, no, fortunately, I'm not. Uh, uh, I did. I worked yesterday, and I got a a couple of days off. Uh, pretty exciting. I'm, I'm uh, doing a root canal tomorrow. So, that's really great. Oh, that's so fun! What a great way to distract yourself. Exactly. From everything in the world is just go get a. How can you focus on anything else when someone's drilling into your skull? Yeah, that's good. Good. <laughs> is it uh, is it going to be extensive or is it just like just a little bit of? I guess every root canal is extensive. I, I it's my first one, so I'm 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 a little excited. That's exciting. I hope they're gentle. You know. <laughs> I mean, my God, it's what a what a fun new experience you get to have as a. As it's a like what we're saying. We got to be open to all of it, don't we? <laughs> as long as maybe you can make that deal with yourself where you go, okay, this might not be fun but maybe I can use it for something. You know, you can put it in something. It's an experience that it's the birth of a new experience. Yeah. Yeah. Works for Um, me. Well, people should know that uh, your film adverse is uh, out March 9th. It's Lionsgate. Like you said, it's you and Sean Astin and Penelope Ann Miller and Mickey Rourke. And uh, you know, Lou, you're just the nicest. My mom texted me uh, how much she adores you. Oh, she said, Oh, I love him so much. Uh, cause she knew I was podcasting you. So, you know, please tell, uh, please tell your wife, we said hi. And when you're around and it's okay. And everyone's, you know, and healthy, you're vaccinated, you know, like let's see each other and have a meal. I always enjoy seeing you in person. I look forward to it. And our love to Lydia as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. Lou Diamond Phillips has been on the podcast. Woo-hoo! We don't have a live audience. I'm, I'm the audience for, for like us it. now. Like it. We're just in our homes, but I wanted to give it like a real in-studio Talking Dead style experience. It felt that way. It, it, it felt that way. <laughs> All right. I send you hugs. Take care. Please tell Tom Payne I said hello and I uh, hope to see you soon. All right, brother. Be All right. Good. The end. ID Tenty scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart. 
or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.